This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. We can often feel stuck in our work as clinicians when it comes to treating people with OCD, no matter their age. What treatment options are there? What other modalities can we use? Today, we are going to be addressing these questions and sharing an overview about the different treatment options for OCD. In this episode, you'll hear us talk about the various types of treatment options from psychological therapy to deep brain stimulation. We also share insights into how you can get creative and messy with treatment and still be evidence-based in your work. Let's get started. Hello, Celine. Hi, Tori. Nice to be back recording another skills episode. Absolutely. This one is going to be nice and meaty. Yes. So today we're talking all about treatment options for OCD. We sure are. And this one, when we first planned it, we were like, oh, yeah, this would be a nice and quick one. And then we delved into it and went, no, it's not. That's right, because there are quite a few treatment options, even though, as we'll get into, there are what we consider gold standard treatment options. But OCD is complex, people are complex, and it's not always as simple as just a straightforward, modular, 20-session model treatment for OCD. It actually requires a little bit of creativity and thoughtfulness in your planning and some flexibility along the way as client needs arise. Absolutely, because... Everyone is an individual and their needs are different and we have to meet our clients with where they're at. And I really love what we have planned in this episode because it starts to get into that idea that we have of being creative and breaking the rules (laughs) and getting messy with it all and all that kind of stuff. And when we say that, we still mean be evidence-based in the work that you do. I think when we've talked about that with some colleagues, they've kind of freaked out a little bit and we've had some interesting reactions. (laughs) But we definitely mean be evidence-based in what you do. And what we're talking about today is evidence-based because we are scientists, practitioners, and we do need to do that. So let's jump into it. Let's get going. Let's do it. The main option that we've got for treatment is pharmacological treatment and psychological treatment. And typically, would you agree with this, that when we get referrals, they're either from a psychiatrist or pediatrician or a GP, so they may have already been started on medication, or we get clients who have had a bit of a squeeze on the internet and have been like, I think I have OCD. And then we do an assessment and confirm or disconfirm and then start with therapy first. Yeah, I would agree. A lot of people do come and already be on medication. I think that that's actually pretty normal. But then there are plenty who are at the beginning of their journey and rightly are referred for therapy first, because that is what the evidence tells us, that the first line of treatment is psychological treatment. And it's only when it looks like the treatment's not as effective as it could be that medication can be considered. Absolutely. It's really one of those things I think that is worthwhile giving a go, because the research also tells us if you've got mild levels of OCD, Therapy on its own is usually 
pretty efficacious? I think we work with plenty of people who therapy alone is sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that too. And then you've got clients who would fall in the more moderate, severe, extreme categories where they do need medication just to help dial the volume down. That's what a lot of clients say. They're like, OCD is not as loud. It's now enabling me to do the therapy, to do the work that I know I need to do because there's nothing worse than partaking in therapy, feeling frustrated, but the noise is so loud, you feel stuck and you feel like you can't actually do what you want to do. There's nothing more frustrating than that. And I think also sometimes I find that clients can be frightened to get started because the level of anxiety, their baseline anxiety is so high or the level of panic or fear that is evoked is so significant that they find it hard to even get on board and to get started. And they just, they can't think straight. And so they can't think through the process or imagine themselves doing the exercises or even imagine that the treatment could work. And so I think sometimes in those instances, medication is a great place to start as well. Absolutely. So what kinds of meds do we have? Like we're not medical doctors. We are PhD doctors. Yep. So these are conversations to have with your GP, pediatrician, psychiatrist. So continue this conversation. Absolutely. But if you've got clients who you're thinking about referring to for a second opinion, definitely do so. So typically Mm. with pharmacological treatment, what prescribed to things like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So we've got SSRIs and SNRIs. Don't ask us anything about those. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously here in Australia, we're not able to prescribe. So that is something that you talk to with a medical professional to be able to do that or to refer your client on and to have that conversation continue. We can though talk to you till we're blue in the face about psychological treatments as well as some of the other options that are available. So psychologically, we have CBT with ERP, ERP alone, and more recently, well, not that recent, probably what, 10 years or so? What's that? ACT. Well, I reckon it's a bit longer actually, but I think probably people are understanding it and practicing it. I think the science behind it, like I think we've got the research to really give us the confidence to use it more. Yeah. The research behind it has been decades versus more people using it more readily in practice, I think is more recent. So we've got cognitive behavior therapy with exposure and response prevention. What does that mean? Well, that means that people engage in really what is, we think the gold standard, not we think, the research tells us is the gold standard of psychological treatment, which is exposure and response prevention. But the data behind it is really, really wonderful. And has been since its inception, really. Oh, absolutely. And I think in the literature, CBT and ERP are used interchangeably. Like you'll read some articles where when they're talking about CBT and you delve into it, they're actually talking about ERP. What happens is with cognitive behavior therapy, we have different phases. So we do an assessment, we do what's called, we engage in what's called psychoeducation. We formulate our clients. We have a think about what are the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that are kind of involved here? What are the antecedents? What are any predisposing factors and all that sort of stuff, precipitating factors? Then we encourage our clients to self-monitoring because we want to build awareness, right? So we're like, okay, well, how often is this behavior occurring? What's happening right before it? What's happening afterwards? What are the consequences? How distressing is it? How intense is it? So that's what we start looking at. Once we've done and talked about gathering data in terms of how often it's occurring and all that sort of stuff, 
we then start to build a bit of a toolbox. And we do that by helping clients identify unhelpful thinking styles that they might have. And we might start challenging those in different ways. We then might start teaching some ways of managing anxiety through relaxation and all that sort of stuff. Then once they've got a bit of a toolbox, we start challenging some of those ideas and beliefs by doing what we call behavioral experiments. So we go, okay, well, if you're worried that someone is judging you negatively while walking down the street, you might walk down the street and you might look for evidence for that and have a think about what that might look like. And then it's about coming back and evaluating that experiment and going, well, what was the worst thing that happened? How likely was it that that person was judging me? Were they looking at me? Were they looking at something else? And so on and so forth. So you go down this pathway. So that's CBT in a nutshell. And the idea of that is through repetition of that and through different behavioral experiments and through challenging thoughts and so on and so forth and getting different perspectives. The idea is that it'll then impact how we're thinking and how we're feeling and how we're behaving. So that's CBT on its own. Those of you that are already doing ERP will already start to see some similarities between CBT and ERP. The thing we do differently with ERP, because it's a form of CBT, but formulated for OCD treatment, is we don't focus so much on the cognitive work. Do you agree with that? Completely. Because we know that for clients with OCD, that it is not a thinking error. OCD is not an issue with what they are thinking. People with OCD have intrusive thoughts just like everybody, those with OCD and without OCD. We've talked about this before. The issue is, is that those thoughts are activating some really significant, anxious, fearful responses. So these really normal experiences, not because they're misguided. Yes, it is likely an overestimation of threat, but it is activating the fight, flight, freeze response. And so if you go down the line of focusing too heavily on the thoughts, you're looking in the wrong spot. You're treating the wrong aspect of the disorder. And I think what is more important is helping people to understand that the thoughts that they have are just part of the human experience. And then what we want to do is help them manage how they respond to the thoughts rather than to focus on what the thoughts are. And that's a really important distinction between traditional CBT, which you might use for something like depression or social anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder and something like OCD. Absolutely. And I think the tricky thing there is over the years, OCD was classified as an anxiety disorder in the DSM and it was lumped with all the other anxiety disorders. Whereas it's only in the most recent edition of the DSM where it was pulled out and considered a condition on its own, in its own right, because we are recognizing the initial camps of thought like earlier research, much, much earlier, like from the 80s, did indicate that it was this thought-based issue. If we can kind of modify these thoughts, then we can change how this person is feeling and behaving. But more recent research is showing us, based on what Tori described, is actually we're dealing with an emotion regulation issue. We're dealing with, yes, the thoughts are there. And sure, someone might be overestimating threat or placing too much importance on the feelings of anxiety or catastrophizing or jumping to conclusions or whatever else it might be. but at the end of the day, when the emotion comes down, our clients can say, I know this doesn't make sense. I know this seems stupid. I feel frustrated for doing these things. I feel distressed by this. But when I am in that moment, I cannot help it. I can't help myself. And we know that the biology behind that is frontal lobe shut down, amygdala takes over. We are, we're reacting emotionally. We're not responding at all. 
And I think that that's why ERP has been demonstrated to be more effective than traditional CBT, because with traditional CBT, what you're doing is you are teaching people the skills to use to reframe their thoughts, to think in a more helpful way. But that is based on the presumption that someone has access to logic and reasoning and impulse control, attention concentration. We know that when someone is in the middle of an OC loop, when they have been activated and they're feeling very frightened or disgusted or fearful or anxious or guilty, that they don't have access to those functions, those executive skills that are required to use those strategies. And so if you focus too heavily on the cognitive work, you're giving clients skills that they can't use. Yeah, in that moment. In that moment. I mean, that's not to say that those skills aren't good in just general life. Oh, absolutely not. They are helpful. But for those moments where OCD is activated, not helpful. The other thing is, is also it's based on a presumption that the emotional response is actually going to be based on a thought. We know that obsessions aren't just thoughts. They are sensations and they are memories and they are images and they are sounds and they are urges and they are feelings. And so it is very hard to use those rational thoughts to sort of think your way through and not quite right sensation. That's much harder to do. And I think people can get stuck and going, what is this? What was the trigger? You know, what's going on for me? I don't know why I have to do this. Why do I have to do this? So overly analyzing thoughts does not help treat OCD. Absolutely not. And the other thing too, I think with that is it treats out the intrusive thoughts as something that is important as a bunch of thoughts that we shouldn't be having. Well, how can you control what pops into your head? And it's not that CBT tries to control what pops into people's heads, but paying attention to it in that way and giving it importance in that way tells us that they are unhelpful and all the rest of it. And sure, they're not great. No one likes experiencing intrusive thoughts. However, when we teach openness and curiosity about it and we learn to sit with our thoughts and we expose ourselves to our thoughts, we actually get what we want, which is relief because that struggle of experiencing those thoughts isn't there anymore. Yeah. When our clients, that notion of radical acceptance and some of those principles from DBT and ACT I think clients, in my experience, clients have found that once they get their head around it, as difficult as it can be, find it very empowering. I think so too. I know a lot of my clients, you can see the struggle because they come in with this preconceived notion of fix this, get rid of it. I don't want to have these thoughts. And you'll have this dance happening with your client. But through our therapeutic tools that we use with our clients, it's allowing them to work and slowly move towards that acceptance to drop that struggle. And when that happens, it's just magic. It really is. You just kind of see it all unfold from there in a really helpful way. So when we talk about treatment for OCD, I don't think many clinicians use CBT alone. Most clinicians use exposure and response prevention. Some might do cognitive work and I find that clients who kind of hang on to that need for reassurance and that need to intellectualize and to use logic might say that they find it helpful, but it only helps to a certain point. And then there's data behind this too, in a sense that the long-term data isn't as great as what you would normally get in the short term. And analysis of thoughts can become a compulsion as well. Yeah, they can. That mental ritual of going over thoughts, giving yourself positive talk. Yeah feeling like you need to logic your way out of it before you can move on. It can become a mental ritual. It can become a mental compulsion, exactly. And anecdotally, that's what our clients oftentimes feed back to us as well. So a lot of the time clinicians will use exposure and response prevention 
which again, like we talked about before, is a form of CBT. And it's very similar to what we described earlier, but the exposure part happens to the intrusive thought. So we trigger our clients on purpose. We are terrible and very mean <laughs> in that way. In a, we mean like cruel to be kind, I guess. We trigger our clients in a very graded, gradual way. We do it slowly and our clients are always in control. We trigger our clients. They are then exposed to their intrusive thoughts, their worry beliefs and their emotions, very importantly. And then the response at the minute that's happening is their ritual and compulsion. So we aim to gently and gradually prevent that response from happening. So that's where the response prevention is. So we expose to all the thoughts and the feelings and the trigger, and then we gradually prevent the response of the ritual and the compulsion. So that's ERP. Then we've got ACT. And the evidence for ACT is great, isn't it? It is. What's interesting is I think a lot of practitioners will integrate ACT and ERP together or draw from ACT and use mindfulness-based principles to inform ERP. And so a lot of those skills in relation to distress tolerance, which are also drawn from DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, they are part of the toolkit that you give to clients to help them reduce the compulsion. So whether that be urge surfing or mindfulness exercises and things, I mean, these are great, great strategies that clients can use. But there's also some really great evidence that talks about ACT on its own for OCD, even without specific exposure and response prevention strategies that actually is looking pretty good for treating OCD. So it's nice to know that you can get a bit creative and you can think about who your client is, what they might respond to, what your training is, what your preference is as a clinician to know that there are some really great evidence-based treatments out there and that there's a little bit of flexibility and choice for you. Yeah, for sure. We're not going to delve into ACT at the minute because we were lucky enough to talk with Professor Michael Tuig from America, who is all about ACT and has done a lot of research on ACT and OCD. He's published so many books and so many articles. He's very prolific. We'll let him shine and let him do that for us. (laughs) The other options that are available, because for some people, sadly, therapy and medication only gets them so far when we're talking about treatment options for OCD. And so other options to consider to talk with medical professionals about TMS, which is transmagnetic stimulation, which is where someone sits in a chair and magnets are placed on their head at different parts of their head to stimulate magnetically different parts of the brain that are shown to be helpful. And then there's deep brain stimulation, which is a very invasive procedure. It's not that dissimilar to what's done for Parkinson's. So they will cut open the skull and insert electrodes into the brain and you're awake during the surgery. And the reason why you're awake is so that they know when they've hit the sweet spot, basically. Both of these treatments are often recommended to occur alongside therapy, alongside ERP. It's quite stringent here in Australia, the criteria to be on the list for DBS. So you have to have exhausted all the kind of medication options, done exposure therapy, gone through the inpatient program and all of that stuff to be a candidate for the surgery. And a lot of the people that have had DBS here in Australia have still needed to engage in ERP afterwards. And often they say the surgery did what the medication couldn't do in that it dialed the volume down on OCD and now I can do what I need to do, which 
is, I mean, it's a relief, isn't it? And it's nice to know that there's an option out there, but you have to go through a lot of assessment to make sure that it's the right thing for you. Yeah, it has to be clearly demonstrated that you're treatment resistant. Another thing to think about, Celine, when thinking about therapy is the format of therapy as well. Because what we've been talking about and what we have the most experience with is individual treatment. And I think that that's how most people access their treatment. But I think it's important to know that that's not the only way to access psychological treatment for OCD, is that there are group therapy programs that are available for people who really want to connect with other people with OCD. It's really great for teenagers who don't really want to hear from grownups and they want to hear from their peers who might be motivated by seeing what other people with OCD are doing, what their successes are, how they're pushing through barriers. Group therapy is a great way for people to access ERP. Some people really like the intensity of a day program. And typically speaking, a day program would be maybe several days or a few weeks at a time where you really get intensive focus treatment. And sometimes that's really good because someone has quite acute OCD and they really need that extra support of learning all of the principles in a really concise, consolidated fashion, and then lots of assistance to put their exposure um, work into practice with immediate follow-up or someone on site to help them really walk through it day by day. Interestingly, the evidence for those intense programs suggests that it's no more effective in the long run than individual treatment, but it is just a format that is just better for containment purposes if someone is feeling really overwhelmed and hopeless about their treatment or people who live a long way away and can't access individual sessions easily. So people who live regionally, it's just a better format for them. So it is a good option. There aren't that many day programs around in Australia. No, sadly. Sadly, I think there are more overseas. But it is something you can even negotiate with your individual practitioner. I know that I've done it where someone might have an intensive period where they have more than one session a week and come in for longer sessions too. Especially when they live regionally. Yeah, exactly. That's why I've done it. Also, as we talked about when we had a chat with Dr. Scott Blair West, that inpatient admissions are also really important when someone's acuity escalates. It might be that their functioning has declined and it's just not suitable for them to be at home or they're just too unwell to be able to benefit from individual community-based treatment or there are risk issues. And so that is a really good way of helping someone forward with their treatment. So the treatment that you'll get in those programs is likely ERP, probably ACT-informed, DBT-informed, ERP, but yeah, but the format changes. Actually, there's also a lot of support groups around. And while they are not therapeutic groups, they're not designed to be interventions, but they are a great adjunct to treatment. If you want to meet other people with mental health difficulties, just to support you along your journey and not feel so lonely. Absolutely. The other thing I think about also extending that idea about creativity is it's very rare to have a client who only has OCD. Yeah, exactly. There are almost always comorbid difficulties and whether Mm. that's an underlying generalized anxiety disorder or social anxiety or an episode of depression because living with OCD is so hard, sometimes concurrent personality disorders, sometimes it's parent-child relational difficulties or systemic difficulties on the back of just OCD hooking into family life or partner life and just making life difficult. I think it's worth thinking about sometimes in order to treat OCD, you also need to treat those comorbid difficulties. And so it's not ERP alone may not be just what is required. You might also need to pivot from ERP and attend to the personality disorder or teach the skills required for to treat the depression. You might need family therapy, child-focused parent therapy, 
or to address family accommodation, or your client might have trauma going on. So you might think about bringing in EMDR for your client. These things need to be done in concert because it is unlikely that someone with OCD is going to get better with just ERP alone because they're a whole person and those comorbid difficulties will feed and fuel and influence OCD and all of these things need to be held in mind. Yeah, especially when we think about what we talked about in our last skills episode of form and function, thinking about what function is OCD serving here and being really creative and bringing in that idea. And it does get messy, doesn't it? And this is what we mean. And sometimes you do have to break that rule of sticking to the manualized treatment and bringing in other things that are necessary to help your client along because they might have comorbidity. Yeah. And also remembering you don't have to do all alone, that sometimes it is useful to bring on additional practitioners. We've talked about it in relation to medication, looking at a medical practitioner to oversee that. But true, a client can have more than one therapist if there is something specific that needs to be attended to simultaneously that's outside of your skill set. Absolutely. Or that it's not suitable for you to be doing both at one time because it's diluting everything. So, you know, you can never get to the work because, you know, you're trying to do too many things at once. And it's just about the skill of building a care team, careful communication, openness, awareness of who's doing what, thinking about the timing, what needs to be treated first, or if it needs to be done simultaneously, and just doing some really thoughtful planning with your client and their care team. Communication is extremely important in that regard because the last thing you want is for everything to turn into a bit of a mess and the client get, like you said before, get mixed messages or the message being diluted and all that kind of stuff. Communication is so important when you've got a team involved if it's needed. So I think these are the wonderful ways we can get creative with treatment. It's really about listening to our clients' needs. Are they feeling lonely? Do they need a support group? Are they getting stuck? Are we hitting hurdles in ERP? And why is that happening? Is it because our client's trauma is coming into play stronger and stronger and the OCD is getting its back up going, hell no, not going there. We are not. And so we need to really think about that and either through trauma-informed work or EMDR or whatever else it might be that you think is going to be helpful. Schema therapy can be really helpful as well for trauma work. Or is there a personality disorder coming in and derailing treatment a little bit too? And what else is going on? And so it's really important to get creative in that way. And coming back to our assessment skills episode too, it's come back to your formulation and fill it in along the way. It's not just what we thought at the end of session two or three, sometimes after session 10, 11, 12, when more things are disclosed or when your client is hitting the brakes with exposure therapy, What else is going on here? So we're constantly having that working formulation happening. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that your formulation is really the bedrock from which you build therapy, isn't it? And it's a place to keep coming back to, I think. Should we do a bit of a summary? Yeah, I reckon. We talked about different treatment options from a medication and psychological therapy perspective. We talked about one of the key differences between CBT with ERP and an ERP alone being A lot of the time CBT with ERP is bringing in the cognitive work. We're not fan favorites of the cognitive work because we, and so kind of lend towards ERP with ACT-based ACT-informed ERP in the sense of following an ERP protocol, bringing in ERP-friendly ACT-based tools. (laughs) That's a bit of a mouthful. And we're pretty big fans of doing that simply because we want to be able to emphasize that idea of 
we can't control what pops into our head of being able to sit with our unwanted thoughts, our intrusive thoughts, being able to make room for the discomfort we're experiencing, being able to surf those urges in order to resist those compulsions and then do what it is that we value, do what it is that's important to us, not what's important to OCD. So engaging in and making choices and being able to be in a headspace to make a choice before we get hijacked and that choice gets taken away from us, being able to be in that position to follow our own values and live our life that we want to live by gradually reducing OCD over time. Then we talked about TMS and DBS as well, lots of acronyms in this episode, (laughs) and as well as how to get creative and bring in different formats, group therapy versus individual versus inpatient versus outpatient day programs, et cetera, support groups and all those sorts of things. I think one thing while wrapping up, yes, there are different treatment options and I know Tori, you and I are big on this and you might want to kind of shed light on this a little bit more is quick fixes and doctor shopping. Oh yeah. Good one. Yeah. I think we both experience this a little bit that one of the great tensions I think that our clients have to sit with is that, well, ERP is hard. It's a hard road and it's hard work. And central to OCD is really, really significant discomfort that they're fed up with experiencing and a desire to be rid of that. Living with that level of panic and anxiety or disgust or guilt, et cetera, is really difficult. And central to the work is helping people to accept that discomfort and uncertainty is a part of life. But I think what we often find is that people can be lured into the idea of finding a cure or a way of being rid of that discomfort or getting rid of thoughts and can, even while doing therapy, can sort of want to shop around medications, want to shop therapists, can want to shop different modalities, can pull away from ERP with, you know, looking for something that's going to give an immediate fix And it's a hard reality to have to face that there is no such thing as a fix or cure for OCD and that a lot of aspects of OCD are a part of the human experience and will still be there even once you reach what we call sort of recovery or maintenance phase where you just move into your life and live in spite of some of the anxiety that you still might experience or the presence of uncomfortable thoughts. That's a hard thing to have to face. And we're not saying that you have to deal with really intense, really loud thoughts 24-7. Through therapy, you'll experience the thoughts becoming flippant blips on the radar almost every now and then rather than their frequency and intensity at which you're experiencing it now. And it is, it's a really, really challenging. And to be fair, in the beginning, no one wants to hear that in a sense of clients are like, really? Is this really what I have to do? And that's the struggle. And we as clinicians, also because here in Australia, our sessions are only to see a psychologist, our clients are lucky enough to get a Medicare rebate for a certain number of sessions. But as clinicians, we can kind of get pulled into this medical model approach of going, okay, I have to fix this person in this many sessions. And those number of sessions are not backed by data at all. On average, the data tells us anywhere between 18 to 20 sessions on average is what you would ideally need for a client who's mild to moderate in nature. And then when you throw comorbidities in there and more extreme conditions, you're dealing with a longer time period in terms of treatment. And so what can sometimes happen as a clinician is we get pulled into the angst and we get pulled into the client's sense of urgency to relieve the pain that they're feeling. 
And so it's up to us to kind of hold on to that before we bring on other things that are going on as well. But we do need to ask the question and we do need to hold that in mind and we do need to think, okay, my client's been stuck for a little while now. What else is going on here? Do we need a second opinion? Do we need to introduce different modalities? Do we need to bring in some medication? Do we need to bring up the intensity? Do we do an inpatient program and so on and so forth? So we need to kind of hold the ship steady and sit with it ourselves as well as think about some of these other things to know when to bring those things in. Yeah. Aside from helping people to stay in therapy, we're also modeling distress tolerance. Yeah. And that's all. That's really what it is. It's learning, teaching our clients to tolerate uncertainty. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. You guys are in for a treat. Our next two episodes are with Professor Michael Tuig from America talking to us all about ACT for OCD. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. rules. <laughs>